tremendous impact on her nonetheless. She was a child who loved to escape into her books, and now French history had become not just reading to her, but a source of personal identity, a guarantee of her own specialness and superiority, consolation for the indignities of a daily life where money was not always as plentiful and one's parents' behavior not always as spotless as one might wish. When the Vichy regime signed an armistice with Hitler in 1940, de Gaulle, speaking on BBC Radio from the Sanctuary of London, had urged his countrymen to resist. The broadcast provoked Pétain, the idol of de Gaulle's youth, to charge de Gaulle with treason and threaten him with death. Impressed by de Gaulle's staunch refusal to accept defeat, little Jackie Bouvier seized on him as her hero. For five years, she avidly followed him in newspaper accounts. She named her poodle Golly in his honor. Yet when the young man at the cocktail party held forth, she did what most sensible, well-brought-up girls who hoped to win the Newport matrimonial sweepstakes circa 1945 would have done. The point was to seem bright enough to interest a man, but not so bright as to imperil his ego. So Jackie played her part and said nothing. Afterward, her only outlet was to vent her frustration in the form of mockery when she recounted the episode to a female friend. He sounded like a little boy who's just read a big book and is having a lovely time expounding it all to a little country urchin without really knowing what it was all about. I wanted to give him a big maternal kiss on the cheek and tell him he was really a big boy now. The author of those spiky sentences delighted in being very different from the shy, timid girl, in her own phrase, petrified of everything, who had first appeared in Newport two years before, after her mother, Janet Lee Bouvier, married investment banker and standard oil heir, Hugh D. Auchincloss, Jr. Previously, the dissolution of Janet's marriage to Jackie's father, John Blackjack Bouvier, a stockbroker with a social register background, had been prominently chronicled in the tabloid press under the headline, Society Brokers Sued for Divorce. Accompanying the article, which documented a pattern of infidelity on Mr. Bouvier's part, had been a photograph of a small-boned Janet and her daughters, Jackie and Little Lee. It was not the first time Jackie and her mother had made news. Both were ribbon-winning equestrians, and prior accounts had spotlighted their accomplishments in the riding ring. Now, this new coverage seemed to chip away at the idealized public image to expose the ugly family reality beneath. Taunted by classmates at the private day school she attended in New York at the time, and teased by certain of her Bouvier cousins, Jackie reacted to the publicity as if she had been flayed alive. In the aftermath of the ordeal, she became secretive, withdrawn, willfully impossible to read or know. The summer of 1945 was important to her for a number of reasons, not least her newfound popularity among the boys at Newport. It was certainly not that Jackie, who had oddly broad features, 
a splash of freckles across her nose and under both eyes, and disproportionately large hands and feet, was prettier than her female contemporaries, only that in a world where most of the young people had known one another all their lives, she suggested a flavor the boys had not tasted before. On her return to boarding school, Miss Porter's in Farmington, Connecticut, two of those boys wrote repeatedly to her from Harvard. Jackie judged that her replies had better be devastatingly witty. She also calculated that since her correspondents knew each other well and belonged to the same college social club, the Owl, it was necessary to compose entirely different letters to each. This required a good deal of labor on her part. Half in earnest and half in jest, she was soon bemoaning the agony she had to endure, drafting separate missives to 19-year-old John Sterling and 20-year-old R. Beverly Corbin, Jr. Despite her laments, both boys struck her as tremendously appealing. John Sterling was the son of a distinguished career diplomat and former U.S. ambassador to Sweden, Bev Corbin of an attorney.